Well, praise God. Camp meeting is great, isn't it? The Lord is greatly to be praised. Praise the Lord. I'd like to say also that we appreciate being here, and we certainly enjoyed Brother Pugh's Bible lessons every day. And uh, sorry that he's having to go home. We we're looking forward to hearing him again tomorrow. This camp meeting has teaching of the Word of God in the day and other messages that we've heard has been a blessing. And that's the thing that's going to save us. Amen. Because there will be areas in your life that you won't feel like shouting. There will be valleys that you'll have to walk through that you'll only be walking because of things that's planted in your heart that will keep you keep a walking. Amen. So we're thankful for everything that we have heard in this camp meeting and for the good spirit that we have felt. Somebody asked me today about it and I said, well, I have really felt the presence and the power of God in this camp. Right. Amen. And the worship, such a good move of the worship. And that's the thing that's going to bring the blessings of God in your heart is the expression of how you feel. You know, a lot of people think that uh, the Lord's going to come down and I've heard people say, well, if I ever shout, it'll be the Lord. Well, you probably won't ever shout. Well, what they mean by that is that God's going to come down there and pick him up off of the seat and just dance him around out there. I've never seen him do nobody like that. The Holy Ghost don't work from the outside grabbing your body and picking up your hands and making you worship. It don't work. The Holy Ghost never comes and picks anybody's hand up and picks him up and praise the Lord. Never. But what the Holy Ghost does, the Holy Ghost through the working inside of your heart produces a feeling on your emotions and then you exercise and carry out that feeling by exercising it through your body and if you don't will and submit to exercising the feeling that the Holy Ghost produces you'll never worship you'll never shout you'll never sing you'll never dance and if you're dancing as a result of a feeling that has been produced by the Holy Ghost. You are dancing in the Spirit. Amen. Well, praise God. That's not what I'm going to preach about tonight, but I just wanted to tell you how much I appreciate the worship and people exercising worship and, and doing what they feel like doing. I want to use tonight for our subject man's best friend. Everybody say it. Man's best friend. Would you stand for the reading of the Word of God? 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 9 through 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 9 through 16. For I think that God has set forth us the apostles last, as it were appointed to death. For we are made a spectacle unto the world, and to angels, and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but ye are wise in Christ. 
We are weak, but ye are strong. Ye are honorable, but we are despised. Even unto this present hour, we both hunger and thirst and are naked and are buffeted and have no certain dwelling place and labor, working with our own hands, being reviled, we bless, being persecuted, we suffer it. Being defamed, we entreat. We are made as the filth of the world and are the offscouring of all things unto this day. I write not these things to shame you, but as my beloved sons, I warn you. For though we have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet have you not many fathers? For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Wherefore I beseech you, be ye followers of me. Would you ask the Lord to bless the word of God tonight? Dear Lord, tonight we thank you for the word of God. And we ask you to bless it to our hearts. Use it for your glory. Oh Lord, anointing the power, presence, the spirit of the Holy Ghost. Praise God. Praise Oh, in Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Hallelujah. Everybody say praise the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you very much. Man's best friend. That's what I want to talk about tonight. In the natural kingdom of this earth, the dog is considered man's best friend. And I want to talk about the dog for a few moments because if you were to ask those that know, or if you were to send out a questionnaire, what would be considered man's best friend? And everybody knows that the dog is man's best friend. There's reasons for that, and the reason is because of what the dog has contributed to the welfare of man. The dog has been eyes to the blind. He's been ears to the deaf. He's been protection for the crippled. The dog has been a companion to the lonely. The hunting dog has meant food for the hungry. Dogs have earned man's love and respect by their faithfulness and devotion to him. Many dogs have given their own lives to protect and save the lives of their master and his family. Dogs guard the home and the property as well as the family of their master. Dogs have awakened sleeping families at night when the house was on fire or when danger was near that spared them of death. Watchdogs protect stores and factories at night and accompany policemen on their lonely beat. Dogs are trained to find people buried under avalanches in the Alps. About 8,500 dogs served in the K-9 Corps of the United States Army during World War II. They located wounded soldiers on the battlefields 
They carried messages and needed medical supplies under heavy fire. Dogs were used by the Coast Guard to patrol the shorelines of the United States during World War II. Balto, which was an Eskimo dog, one of the most famous dogs that's known to man, led a team of dogs that carried diphtheria serum 600 miles through an Alaskan blizzard from Narana to Nome in 1925 when that town was literally dying and man could not get to where the dying was. And this Eskimo dog, they hooked up a team of dogs. And this dog led this team of dogs 600 miles through an Alaskan blizzard, facing danger of death, blizzard, snow, feet frozen, no water, lipping, lagging, feet sore, bleeding when they got there, but they delivered the diphtheria serum that saved hundreds of lives. A St. Bernard dog rescued 40 people when they became lost in the snowstorm of Switzerland's St. Bernard Pass in the year of 1800. Dogs tend the cattle and sheep, keep livestock from straying during the day. They drive the animals into shelter at night, and they attack the wolves and other wild beasts that seek to harm livestock. For thousands of years, the dog has faithfully served man and has been his best friend, the dog man's best friend. But like the dog in the natural kingdom, the best friend to man in the spiritual realm of life is the preacher. That's right. The preacher. I've had a lot of friends in my life. I've had friends when I was just a young man, buddies that lived across the street, we were friends. I've had uh, men friends, adult friends, but I've never had a friend like a preacher friend. That's right. I thought about Brother Pugh a while ago when he was talking about Brother Daw, things that are intangible, the preacher. I want to talk to every sinner in this building tonight, every backslider, and every saint of God, I want to talk to you tonight about your best friend. Yeah. Amen. I want to talk to you about your best friend. And that's the preacher. That's the preacher. Like the dog, the preacher watches out for you and for your welfare. Amen. I thought about Brother Dees. Brother Dees is my former pastor. When I was young and, and uh, didn't know the Lord, he prayed for me. He knew my dad, my family, he knew the circumstances. He was very close to the McNeely family. 
He married Sister Dees. Sister Dees was a mott before she married Brother Dees, and the motts were very close to the McNeely family. Dad used to preach. They were very close friends. I remember Sister Dees when she was very young. They come to our house. Sister Mott was a preacher. She preached revivals for my dad. Dad preached for them all over the country. We was very close. Brother Dees came along, married Sister Dees. We were still close. Now, I remember when all the trouble came to our home when Dad left the church, and you know, I told you some of it the other night. And uh, I didn't know what it was to live outside of a Pentecostal home until I was 14 years old. Moved out of a Pentecostal home into a cafe. Down through the years, the thing turned into a honky-tonk. It was nothing but a hellhole. That's all it was. A beer joint, hillbilly music, fights. One Fourth of July there, one night they had a fight, and, and wasn't nobody there, me and mother, and... And uh, they got in a fight, and they got to break in the windows, and they kicked out the plate glass window, and one fella knocked one plumb through it. And they broke all the instruments over one of his head, hit another with beer bottles, and when it was all over, there was blood on the ceiling. When we went in there to clean it up the night before, we finally got a sheriff 10 miles away out there to break the fight up and get the thing under control. And there was nobody but there, me and mother, and we was trying to handle all that mess. Well, going into that kind of an atmosphere, I, can you imagine? 15 years old, I had a nervous breakdown. But he's come and got me. Took me to his house. He had no children, but he made me a son. A preacher. Man's best friend. He nourished me. He prayed and fasted day and night until God healed my nerves. Three weeks I laid and shook like a dog with a fit. And way in the night where the D's would come in all during the night, check on me and see how I was doing. Pray for me. Help me. Pray for me. Nourish me back to health. I went overseas and I didn't get letters from a friend, but I got letters from Brother D's. Those letters was very strengthening. They were very encouraging. And he wrote, told me that he was praying for me, that God would spare my life and I would give my heart to God when I returned to the States. And so, of course, Brother D's has played, played a great part in my life. He's He's been the best friend that I've ever had, a preacher friend. He watched out for me. He cared for me. When I came home, of course, he was among the very first to come to see me. He called me when I was in Oakland, California, when we landed. When I was wounded overseas, came. Didn't know where I was going to be stationed, but he called me and he said, I'd like to come see you. Mother wanted to come, and he wanted to come with her. I said, no. Uh, I don't know, I'm going to try to get to Corpus if I can, stationed there and going to be in a hospital for a long time and they're they going to try to transfer me there. Well, they couldn't get me to Corpus, they sent me to Jacksonville, Florida. Mother came down there, stayed a couple of weeks and then I finally got to, uh, to uh, Corpus Christi and Brother Dees came to see me when I got there. But then, of course, when I got out of the service and got home, got well after being in the hospital 10 months and and got, got to where I was crippling my leg. 
I couldn't walk, couldn't run, couldn't climb. They was going to dismiss me with a medical discharge. Shot through the knee. The knee was blown and uh, deteriorating, honeycombed. And I couldn't walk, couldn't do nothing on crutches. And Brother Dees and his church went on a long fast and prayed until God healed my leg. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Prayed my soul through the Holy Ghost. Praise the Lord. Kept a burden for me until he dug me out of the pits of hell. He just wouldn't give up and let the devil have me. My mother was backslid. My whole family was on the way to hell. The first revival of priest, my mother come back to God. Hallelujah. Praise God. Thank God for preachers. They're your best friend. Hallelujah. They'll stick by your friend when the going gets rough. Don't you ever forget it. Now, I want to give you some things tonight stick with you. And uh, so after that, my youngest brother, Brother C.R., pastor church in Arlington, got a fine church there. He, he prayed through it. We finally managed to get out of that hell hole down there. Mother sold that thing out, went to work for the Baptist Hospital there in Beaumont, and us kids got up a little bigger where we could get a little better job. We got out of that place. And uh, so God saved us. We had five children. The oldest boy is the only one that's not saved. We have a girl in Brother Deasy's church in Houston, and the other three boys are preachers. One of all them pastoring churches. Hallelujah! But it's all because of a preacher that had a concern. That became a friend. My very best friend. Hallelujah. Man, best friend is a preacher. Can you say amen? Yeah. Oh, because he watches out for your soul. Hallelujah. Oh, he protects you from harm and danger. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. Hallelujah. You see, there's some characteristics of a dog that's similar to that of a preacher in the spirit. It may sound kind of odd, but the reason that a dog can detect danger and he can, can pick up uh, things that are dangerous or things where something harmful is coming a lot quicker than man can because of his fine sense of, of hearing and smelling and seeing. The men of God in the Bible was called in the Old Testament seers. The meaning of the word seer is one who sees, one who has visions and supernatural revelation and insight. They see danger when you cannot even know it's there. Because they have a they have a spiritual divine insight on things and conditions and circumstances and things of this world that you as a saint of God will never in this world ever sense the danger of it. And it will pay you, my friend, to get close to the preacher because he is your best friend. And he can pick up things and sense things and 
and he's going to know things through the Holy Ghost and, and God's going to talk to him and he's going to talk to God and he's got a fine sense of, 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 of vision and, and insight and he's sensitive to the movement of the Holy Ghost. He hears things from God. God tells him he sees things through the Spirit that you cannot see. And when danger things come and arise, he's there to warn you, to watch, to protect you, to there to pray for you, to there to shelter you from all the harmful things that the devil is trying to destroy you with. Oh, the preacher is your best friend. Hallelujah. Get close to the preacher. I said, get close to the preacher. He's your best friend. Hallelujah. 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 He's your best friend. He's your best friend. The CNI dog, his eyes to the blind. The preacher is your eyes. He sees for you. I said the preacher sees for you. Yeah, he does. See the blind man, how many of you? I went one time to a, in Beaumont, there was a great crowd gathering. I saw, I saw a great crowd over there. And I went over to see what's going on. I got over there and there was a blind man standing there. And he was a demonstrating what that, what his dog would do. And he, uh, he, he pulled out different things. He was showing him what the dog could do. And he said, now, I want to show you something what this dog will do. He said, I can't cross the street. And I can't walk down the street. Cars are passing. Everything is danger. I can't see the light. I don't know when to change. I don't know anything about it. But he said, this dog is my eyes. This dog is my protection. This dog fights my battles for me. This dog warned me when something is out there that I, or, 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 of a walk or something that I'm going to trip over. The dog lets me know. And when, when I'm too close to the edge, he'll, he'll get up against me and he'll nudge me over. And I stood there as a, just a young boy. And I listened to that. I was so fascinated. I was so fascinated. That's the first time that I'd ever been close to a blind man with a CNI dog. And he began to go through all of the things that this dog was to him. Uh, because he, he could not see. He had no eyes. Now he said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to take my bill phone out of my pocket. But said, now don't none of you, don't none of you move a peg. Said, I'm going to fumble through my bill phone. And said, I'm going to accidentally drop a bill out of that bill phone and let it fall to the ground. And said, you watch that dog, how he operates. And so he, he, he pulled out his bill phone. He was thumbing to it and his dog standing there. He looked up at him. He watched him thumbing with that money. And directly he, he let a bill go and it just floated to the, to, the, to the concrete, to the ground. And that dog never moved a peg. But he watched everybody that was standing there. The dog looked back at his master. He would look at everybody else. In a few minutes, he reached down with his mouth, picked that money up and nudged his, his master. And his master fell down for his mouth and picked that money up. Now, if anybody would have tried to get that money, that dog would have latched on to us. Yes, sir. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh, That's right. That's right. Listen, that dog was at the eyes of that man. Listen, I want you to know the preacher is your eyes. Yes, sir. That's why they call them Sears. They watch out for your money. <laughs> Don't be afraid to trust your preacher with your money. He'll take care of it. He'll invest it right. 
Samuel Deacons, you know, they want to run the preacher. They're afraid for him to trust him with the money. That man wasn't afraid to trust that dog with his money. He knew he's going to put it right back in his hand. Yeah. Oh, don't be worried about a God-called preacher. I went over there not too long ago. Well, God, we're going to talk about everything tonight. Yeah. Amen. I'm going to talk about your best friend tonight. Yeah. Amen. Hallelujah. There was a church in our section up in Dallas-Fort Worth. Came up not too long ago. I went over there to hold the election, and they wanted the board met with me and said we want to put the next preacher on pastor or on, on a salary. I said what? They want to put the next preacher comes here on a salary. I said how much you want to pay? Depends on how much you want to pay him. Whether they let you put him on a salary or not. <laughs> if you give him about a hundred thousand, I said okay. <laughs> I think he'd agree. <laughs> and so, uh, well, they want to put him on so-and-so, you know, and I said, nay, nay, nay. First, first thing about it, the manual says you can't change any procedures according to the bylaws of the manual. You can't change nothing. Everything got to be like it was from the transition from one pastor to another. And the next thing, the Bible's against a preacher working under salary. <laughs> because if, it, if, 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 he, if he wants to agree to work on a percentage, that's fine. But I don't believe in hiring and firing preachers, and I don't believe the Bible teaches no such a junk as that. No, sir. If you can't trust your preacher with a tithe and the money that comes to that church, you don't need it. He's yours. Trust him. Yes, sir. Hallelujah. Praise God. Well, your preacher is your best friend, my friend. He's not going to hurt you. Every preacher I know, they put more in the kingdom of God than they take out of it. Everything they put in there, it's their blood, their soul, and everything that they got goes back into the work of God. Hallelujah. Praise God. I'm talking about man's best friend tonight. Hallelujah. Amen. So I tell you, I got an insight on watching that C&I dog operate that day. He went on and showed us what all he would do. He said, now you watch me. I'm going to make out like I'm going to fall when I get ready to go down here. And he said, that, that dog will never let me get to where that curb is. He said, I'm going to walk down that street. He said, y'all just watch me. He said, just kind of follow behind. So he began to walk. And he, the dog was to lead him. And he began to kind of stumble over toward. And this dog was in, over here. In a few minutes, the dog saw he was getting close to the curb. The dog switched over on the other side and began to push him back. Push him on the other side. The dogs pushed him over, pushed him back. And so he took his little cane, he felt, you know, and he was close to the, close to the edge, and he knew that he was getting too close. So the dog was, was his eyes for him. And that's what Job said. Job said, I was eyes to the blind. Yeah, I was eyes to the blind. And so the Lord said that a prophet, that a man of God, man that's called a sin of God, the preacher in the Old Testament was called a seer because he saw things. He had vision. He had supernatural revelations and insight on the dangerous thing. That's why they took him and put him up on the wall. That's why he said, Ezekiel, I make you just exactly what that man is on that wall. I make you a watchman because I'm going to let you see things. That those behind that wall I never see. I'm gonna let you see when danger comes and when the enemy comes and everything. Oh yes, sir, friend of mine. You better thank God for your preacher because he's watching out for you. Hallelujah. He's yours upon the wall. He's a watching when danger comes. Yes, sir. He sees the old enemy sleeping in there at night. He comes out there. He's going he's gonna to let you know about it. He's going to sound the alarm. He's going to preach the word to you. Hallelujah. He's your best friend. That's why. He's your best friend. He's your best friend. 
Praise God. Wouldn't you think it would be a mighty good friend to see an enemy come to destroy you and he'd let you know about it? Don't you think that's a friend? Sees your house on fire, come running over there, pulling you out. Don't you think that's your friend? That preacher, his man's best friend in the spirit realm. Yes, he does. Ha. All right, I want to show you something tonight. Kind of preachers, kind of like this Irish setter right here that I read about, took the clipping out of the paper one day. And I want to read what it says. It says an Irish setter found dirty and hungry by the Bruce Morris family rescued the Morris's two-year-old daughter by smashing through a window of a burning automobile and pulled the child from the car, authorities said. Mr. and Mrs. Bruce Mars of Harvester, Missouri visited a suburban Bridgeton auto dealer during the weekend and left their little two-year-old daughter, Margaret, in the back seat of their car with red, her eyes setter. I rolled all the windows down about five inches, locked the door, and every few minutes I would look out to make sure that Margaret was okay, Mr. Marsh said. Then I heard a salesman yell, said, my God, there's a girl in that car. Mr. Marsh raced out the door to find smoke pouring from the car windows and suddenly red, the eye shutter, the, the eye shutter, he plunged through the front window. And he said, I saw the dog jump through the front window on the driver's side. I never seen a dog go through a window like that before. The glass shattered all over the place. The 75 pound setter touched the ground, jumped up, jumped up, and reached back through the window with his paws in the, to the side of the car. He grabbed Margaret's coat collar with his teeth and dragged the girl out of the broken window. All right. The little girl landed on the ground and the ice setter reached over there with his mouth and began to drag the girl away from the body car. The patrolman ran out there and got there and he said that the interior of the car was burned out within three minutes. And he said the flame was leaping up and shooting in the air 20 to 25 feet when he arrived. And the, 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 the policeman said, for sure, he said, if that dog had not pulled that girl out, she would not be alive today. Hallelujah. All right, now then, you see, here's what happened. About two weeks before that time, here came an old, straggling, dirty, busy, hungry dog. And they took him in and began to feed him, and he took up with that little girl. And two weeks later, he was the means of saving the life of that girl. They said that night that they took the dog back home, they put him down there, they put him out of biggest stake, they went to town, they bought him the biggest, thickest stake that they could put out there, and he said the dog slept with Margaret that night, and they were glad for him to do it, hallelujah. Oh, your friend, my friend, your best friend in this world is a preacher, that preacher will pull you out of fire. Yes, sir, he'll save your children from hell.
Take in that preacher. Get close to him. He's your best friend. He's going to save your children. He's going to pull them out of fire. He's going to pull them out of fire. Yes, he will. He'll pray for them. He'll seek God when the thing gets rough. Yes, he will. He's your best friend, my friend. Oh, yes, to hell, the Bible says, is enlarging herself. Open up her mouth without measure. Somebody has got to stand in the gap and make up the head. Who does that? The Bible says, the preacher does it. He's the watchman. He's the one that stands in the gap, makes up the head. He'll pull your children out of the fire. He'll pull your children out of the fire. He'll go right down to the jaws of hell and pull them out. Yes, he will. Yes, he will. Yes, he will. Oh, God, he's your best friend. He's your best friend. He's a watching for you when you're asleep. He's a praying for you when you're not concerned about yourself. When your children's out in the world on the way to hell, he'll be there to pray and fire and pull them out of the fire. He'll stand in the, in the gap, make up the hedge. The man's best friend is a preacher. Thank God for the preacher. Thank God for the preacher. He saved my soul. Hallelujah. He pulled me out of the flames of hell. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Oh, God. Take him in. Take him into your fellowship. Take him into your home. Feed him beef steak. Yes, sir. Don't give him no hamburger. Put that steak out there. Because he's a pulling your children out of the flames of hell. He deserves the very best that you can give him. He's your best friend. I'll tell you this one thing, but if those mamas that are in hell tonight with their children, that preachers have, I've seen women and men turn against the preacher and take the sides of the children, and when he's a trying to save them and pull them out of hell, and they turn against him and ridicule him and, and do everything in the world that could and take the sides of the children. But those mothers that are in hell tonight with their daughters and their sons, oh God, they, if we could bring them back here tonight, they would tell you that the best friend that they ever had in this world, it was that preacher, it was that preacher, it was that preacher! I thank God because that God sent a preacher to rescue me from the flames of hell! If I hadn't have been connected with a preacher, and a preacher hadn't pulled me out of hell, my three brothers, my two brothers may not be preaching today. My mama may not be saved. My sister may not be in church. And all the hundreds that's prayed through under me, and all the hundreds under Brother C.R., and all of those under Brother Roy, and all of those that, that's prayed through under my ministry, and those that went out from me and preaching the word. Look at the multitudes that has been saved because a man was a friend to me that would dug me out of the flames of hell, took me out of a beer joint, put me into his home, and loved me, made me a child, made me a son. He was my best friend. How in the world could I ever turn against my best friend? I pray like David, dear God, before my mouth would speak something that would be derogatory about Brother D's, let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth. Give me paralysis of the tongue before you'd ever let my mouth speak against the man of God. 
because he is my best friend. I'd have been in hell burning, blistering and boiling, screaming, begging, scratching, crying, asking God for mercy. Would there never be one tonight if it wasn't for my, my preacher friend, which was the best one I ever had. And I'll tell you this one thing, he's still my friend. He's my best friend. The preacher's your best friend. Ha. Hallelujah. Love your preacher. Take care of him. Feed him well. He's a pulling you out of the flames of hell. Pulling your children out. Better they go to the jaws of, of hell themselves. Trying to get your children and your families to be saved. Oh, yes, sir. Preachers like the waiting dog at the Moscow, Moscow airport that I read about here not too long ago. Took that little clipping out. I didn't know I'd ever use these clippings when I cut them out of the paper, but I'm sure glad I kept them. Here's the report said for nearly two years, a German shepherd has met every L-18 passenger jet arriving at Moscow's airport in search of the master who flew away and left him. Listen to me now. The man boarded his L-18 flight and left, leaving the dog at the airport. I want to, I want to show you why. That dog, the dog has faithfully submitted to his master such devotion that has proved to mankind that he is worthy to be his best friend. They've got, they've got undivided devotion to the master. And listen to this. And he said during the first few days, now for nearly two years, you get this, for nearly two years, this dog has been at that airport in Moscow. And listen to what he said. He said during the first few days, the dog chased all of the departing L-18s as they taxied away to the consternation of the pilots. Then the dog switched to meeting the incoming flights. Listen to the report. The dog lives under a construction worker's trailer near the airport terminal, watching for the L-18s. Authorities say they do not know and understand how that the dog can tell the difference between the L-18 for jets and four-engine turboprop jet and the other planes. How in the world can this dog tell the difference with all of the hundreds and thousands of planes that come in and out of there every week? She only meets this one kind of a plane, and that's the kind that her master left down. And they can't figure it out. And it says, as soon when one of these planes comes in, one of these L-18 planes comes in, she stopped, she stopped trailing the departing flights. 
She used to run at, down that runway every, eight, eight, every L18 jet that left there. She run down that runway until that thing left off of that ground and she stood there at the end of the runway and she watched it until it got out of sight. And then she'd go back over there and lay down under that construction trailer and watch for another flight. And here she was. But after a while, after a few days, she stopped chasing the outgoing flights and started watching for the incoming L-18. Now how in the world could that dog distinguish what kind of plane that was coming on that runway? And so she switched. Now she's only watching for the incoming planes. And then when one L-18 jet comes in, lights on the runway, pulls taxis down toward the terminal, Here's what she does. He says, as soon as the staircase is sent over to the plane, the dog runs over to the staircase, stops at a safe distance from the passengers, and waits, the newspaper said. The article went on to say, the owner has probably decided that the one he left behind has long time forgotten him. Let this man urgently take leave from work and find the money and fly to Moscow because he has a faithful friend awaiting him there. Oh God, go ahead, go ahead. You're talking about devotion over two years. They don't capture the dog. They could kill the dog, but there's something odd about the devotion of the dog. They let the dog live. The men around there, they feed the dog. He's devoted. He's there. He's awaiting. His master has forsaken him. He's forgot all about him. He doesn't care. He don't worry about what he eat last night or what he slept last night, what he was cold or what it was hot. Oh, what about it, man? Where are you? Where are you? Where are you? Your dog, your dog, your servant, your, your best friend is waiting for you back there. You may leave the church. You may storm out of the church in a huff and a puff. You may get mad at the preacher. You may walk out on God. You may slam the door. You may get him down the river. And you may go. You may not worry about what he's paid or not. You may not worry about what he's sick or not. You may not worry about what he's got food on his table or not. You may not worry about what he's got in his resources to sustain his family or not. But my friend, he's still your best friend. And when you land out there in a car wreck and you die, and you call with a terminal disease of cancer. Or you land up there in an IC unit with a heart attack. You call your best friend. But he's there awaiting. He's been awaiting all this time. He's there. You hadn't been faithful to him, but he's been faithful to you. And when you need him, when you need him, he'll come. He'll be there. If that man could go back to that airport, get off of that plane, even though that dog has been mistreated by his master, even though he's been forsaken, even though he slept in cold and hot, he hadn't had a house to sleep in, he hadn't had a proper food and a diet that he needed. He's old and he's ragged and he's shaggly and he's tattered and he's torn and he's worn and he's bleeding and he's and he's sore and his heart is ached and he's cried at night and he's whimpered into him. For the, he's, he's begged for his master to come. He's watched, he's looked, he's searched, he's been there faithful every day. Watch every plane day and night to come in for the return of his master. But his master don't care. Am I preaching to some disgruntled here tonight? That you have not fulfilled your responsibility to the man of God? 
Have you forsaken him? Have you stormed out of the church? Have you, have you had no concern? Don't you ever think he feels bad? Don't you know that you've broken his heart? Don't you know that he's the best friend that you'll ever have? Even though you forsake him, he'll never forsake you. I've had people that left my church, that stormed out and said they'll never be back. But when they called for me, I went, my friend. Why? Because a God has placed in the heart of a preacher a devotion and a faithfulness that will shed to the sheep that God has put him over, that he will give his life for the sheep. He'll lay it down. He'll lay it down. He'll lay it down. He'll come when you need him. I said he'll come when you need him. Yes, he will. When you lay him there, God, he'll pray for you. He'll fast. He'll seek God. Till God raises you up. He's your best friend. Your very best friend that you can ever have. Don't forsake him. But when you get sick and when you die, it's just like a, a woman and a man in my church one time. Done so much wrong. Caused so much confusion in the church. Caused some families to leave. But they had a boy. Just a young boy. Just one boy. He's gone for several years. Backslid. When the world didn't care whether the church went on or not, talked about me like a dog, crucified me, hung me up, eat me up, stewed me up, spit me out, done everything they could, try to work against the progress of the church. Never could destroy it. Never could. Never could, but they did affect some. They left out. Never heard nothing about them for about three or four years. One night I got a telephone call, and on the other end of that line was a screaming voice. The voice of a mother said, Brother Magnilla, my boy, my boy, he's been killed. I said, oh, no. Yeah, he's been killed. said, come, Brother Magnilla, come. Oh, you see, I could have said, no, I'm not coming. I remember the wounds. I remember the hurtings. I remember the time that you was unconcerned. I remember the dirt that you'd done me. But you see, she didn't have a friend. Let her lay her boy. Killed in a car wreck. His brain was splattered all over the roof of the car. Hit by head on with another automobile and splattered him all over that car. They couldn't even open his casket at the funeral. But Brother McNeely went. Brother McNeely preached that funeral. Brother McNeely put his arm around that man and that woman and prayed that God would have mercy and give them comfort. Your best friend, when you really need a friend, when you really need a friend, he'll be there. When you're suffering, he'll be there. When you die, he'll be there. When it's cold, he'll be there. When it's hot, he'll be there. When it's daytime, he'll be there. When it's midnight, he'll be there. When it's daylight, he'll be there. Oh, preacher, he's your best friend. He's your best friend. He's your best friend. He's man's best friend. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. I read a story one time about a man that had a German Shepherd dog. He lived out on a ranch, farm country. And he had small children. 
when a baby was born into the family. And his family and his friends and his neighbors told him, said, said, you better get rid of that dog. So that dog could turn vicious. They, they warned him about how that German shepherds could turn. And they warned him, said, you'll come home some of these days from out in the field and said, that dog will have killed your baby. And they just kept talking to him about that. And you got to thinking, you know, they may be right. They may be right. That dog might decide to kill my baby sometime when I'm gone, my wife is gone. The dog took up the habit of laying right in front of the crib of that baby and wouldn't leave. He kind of got worried about it, but he never did do anything about it. One day, him and his wife was gone, left one of the larger children and the dog to watch the baby. The baby went to sleep, and the, younger, the older child put the baby in the crib. The dog was laying there by the baby, and she went off doing something else about the house and, and outside playing. It once in a while, she'd dart back in, see the baby was all right, the dog's still laying there, everything's fine. Looked like it was kind of hot, so she raised the window by the baby's crib so the baby gets some air, and she went about her playing. Baby went to sleep, dog's laying there, mother and daddy gone. After a while, daddy come home out of the field. And whenever he come up to where he was, been out in the, with his axe of chopping wood, clearing land, whatever, come back with his axe across the shoulder. When he come up on the yard, opened the gate, the dog come out of the house. The dog came out of the house, he came out of the house with his tongue lipping, lipping his mouth. Blood was all over his mouth. Blood was all over his head. Blood was on his body, on his body. And the first thing the man thought about, my God, that dog has killed my baby. That dog has killed my baby. And of course the dog come out licking his lips and wagging his tail toward the man. The man took that double bit axe and he began to chop that dog and he hit that dog and he knocked him to the ground and the dog tried to get away and he kept hitting him and he gashed him and he cut him and he kicked him and he stomped him and he cut his head and he mashed out his brains and he cut his body and he made sure he was dead 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 and then he throwed the axe down right in the house to where his baby was expecting to find the baby laying there all mutilated all torn apart dug out of the crib and laying on the floor and strung and strolled with his little limbs all over the place but instead he found the baby fast asleep in the crib just like he left him but on the floor was a was a timber wolf that had cut through that that open window and that dog that was laying there to protect that baby he attacked that wolf and around and around they went in that house and in that room and he fought that wolf and he fought him until finally he cut his throat he cut him he cut his throat blood gushed out all over his head all over his body he dragged him out there in the middle of the floor and made sure he was dead and left him there in the middle of the floor come out to meet his master When the man stepped to the door in shock and fright, seeing that the baby was all right and seeing that he killed the dog that had saved his baby, he said, no, oh no, oh no. He went back outside. He gathered up the broken bone of that dog. <laughs> he got his head and laid it up in his, close to his bosom, blood all over it. He picked that bundle of dog up he got him close to his bosom and he said oh i'm so sorry 
I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I, I didn't know. I thought you killed my baby. I thought you killed my baby. But you was my best friend. You saved my baby. You saved my baby. Go ahead. Go ahead and stop it, preacher. Go ahead and cut him. Go ahead and slice him. Go ahead and kill him. Make sure he's dead. Make sure he's dead. But you'll wake up. You'll wake up to find that he's your best friend. That he's the one that has been protecting your children. He's the one that has laid awake and fought the wolves and the beasts of hell. Yes, sir, he fights the spirits. The spirits of hell that trying to destroy our children. That trying to destroy our family. But the preacher is there to fight them. Yes, sir. Round and around they go. Round and around they go. It's a battle. But go ahead, stop it. Kick him. Or cut him. Or slam him. Do everything you can. Leave him there, bleeding, broken, dying. But you'll wake up to the fact that he has been your best friend. He was your best friend. He was your best friend. He saved your children. He saved your children. He saved your children. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Preacher is your best friend. I said he's your best friend. The rich man didn't want the preacher and nothing to do with it until he got to hell. And then he realized, boy, that preacher was really my best friend. <laughs> yes, sir. That preacher was really my best friend. Now, he didn't want any preacher. Preacher, don't come a mess around my house. Don't come. And that's what some of you sinners say when a preacher come knocking on your door. Oh, get out of here, preacher. I don't want religion. I don't want to be messing with you, but I'm going to tell you something. The preacher, you're going to find out after five minutes in hell that he was your best friend. He was your best friend. He tried to keep you from burning. He tried to preach the truth to you. He tried to love you. He tried to take care of you. He tried to warn you when evil come. But when you're burning and your tongue is parched and your lips are turned wrong side out and your blood, if you've got any blood in hell, is a boiling. And your body temperature is raging. And you, you're crying and you're screaming and you're scratching and you're clawing. And you're begging for mercy. A friend of mine, I want you to know you're going to a place where there's no water, where there's no rest. There won't be a hospital there. There won't be a, a, a shop there to take away the pain. The Bible said they're tormented in hell day and night. They never find one moment of peace or rest. But the preacher, he tried to keep the man from going there. He tried to warn him. He tried to fight off the devil from it. But he hated the preacher. He cussed him. He kicked at him. He done everything he could to hurt him. But the man was his best friend, only trying to save his soul from a devil's hell. But the first thing the rich man thought of when he got to hell was the preacher. The very first thing that come to his mind when he seen he was in hell, Oh, Abraham. Abraham, send that preacher down here. Send him down here. Send him down here. He said, if you can just let Lazarus take his finger, not just a cup of water, not a glass of water, not a pitcher of water, but somehow if you could just let him take just his finger and put it in a, in a glass of water, a cup of water, and let everything drip off of it except just that one little last drop and let him come over here to the mouth of hell where I'm tormented in these flames and let me lift up because I'm tormented in these flames. My blood is aborted. My pride. I've, I've asked for mercy. But let that one drop. Just let that one drop and cool my parching tongue because 
as I'm tormented in these flames. Send me a preacher, Abraham. Oh, God, send me a preacher to get me out of this place. Can't none come. Can't none come, Abraham. Diabetes, can't none come. There's a gulf between you and me. The preacher can't get to you now, son. You had him there. He laid at your gate. He tried to witness to you. You kicked him around. He had to depend upon the dogs to lick his sores. You would even as much give him the crumbs from the table. Oh, no. You wouldn't give a preacher nothing, would you? You wouldn't give him a crumb. You hate him. You despise him. But in hell, you'll love him. And you'll recognize that he tried to keep you from going to hell. And he was the only one. Oh, children, let me tell you something. When your mom and daddy, it don't even care whether you live or die, sink or swim, go to hell or go to heaven. They'll let you do everything in the sun. They'll compromise. They'll do everything. But that preacher's down there. He never quits. He's there 24 hours a day. 365 days a year. He's a plan for you. When your mama don't care, that preacher cares. When your daddy don't care, that preacher cares. When the world don't care, that preacher cares. He's your best friend. Get close to your preacher, young person. He's your best friend. He'll be with you through thick and thin. Through the valleys, through the troubles, through the heartaches, through the sorrows, through death, through the valley, the shadow of death. He'll walk with you. He's your best friend. He's your best friend. He's your best friend. So the rich man said, if you can't send one here to get me out, said, send a preacher back to my father's house. Don't let my brothers come here where I'm at. Send them a preacher. Send a preacher. Send them a preacher to preach to them. Don't let them come here. Don't let their eyes see what my eyes are looking at. Don't let their ears hear what, what my ears are hearing. I'm hearing gnashing of teeth. I'm hearing groaning. I'm hearing people moaning and groaning, weeping. And the Bible said in gnashing of teeth. Don't let them come and let me look in the face of souls that are there forever, that have climbed, that have clawed, that have crawled, that try to get out of here. They try to find a way of escape. The demons have hissed at them. They've laughed at them. They've been mocked day and night. Don't let my brother come here. Don't let no, he wasn't concerned about it when he was on earth. But now he wants a preacher. Yes, sir, he wants a preacher to save him and his family. Don't let my brother's feet walk in these coals of hell, flames of fire like mine's are walking. <laughs> Don't let his body burn like my body's are burning. Don't let him, his body feel the pain that my body's are feeling. Don't let him scream like I have screamed for a thousand years. Oh God, mothers and daughters and children, you don't want a preacher. No, sir. But there'll come a time when you wake up in hell that you'll scream for a preacher. You scream. You sinner, you don't want to preach. You wish right now I'd shut my mouth and hurry up and get through with this sermon. But you want to hear it. You want to hear it in hell. You'll say, bring the tape recorder. Set it on. Put the earphones on my head. Turn it loud. They couldn't tell it half like it was. Tell it, preach it. Preach it, preach it, preacher. Preach against hell. Tell them how hot it is. Tell them what it's going to be like. Tell them how not to come here. Tell them what it's going to be like. Hallelujah. The torment that's here. 
Oh, preacher's your best friend. Preacher's a man's best friend. When you get to hell, you'll recognize it. I can't tell you about it tonight. I would to God and I could tell you like hell really was without any water, but I can't tell you. I can't tell you there's no way I can describe what it's going to be like in hell. The closest thing that I know of to kind of be an example of what it would be like to be in hell without any water would be a man that I come in contact with one time. You see, your body desires water. It craves water. It's got to have water to live. You live with that food. But water, water, oh my God, it's hell to be without water. It's miserable to be without water. It's, I don't know how to describe it. You see pictures of the desert, men coming, crawling on the floor. I mean on the ground, trying to find, thinking to see a little blood of water. Blood a week, a tongue, trying to get to that hole. What are you after? And they grow, and they fight, and they kill over just a glass of water, over a little hole of water, trying to get the water. Why? Because their body, it's got to have water, and it's torment, it's mental torment, it's emotional torment, it's physical torment, it's every kind of a torment in the world to go days without water, start dehydrating, your mouth starts getting sick, your lips is parched and turned wrong side, fever sets up, your temperature rises, your tongue swells, oh, you, you, you lose consciousness, torment to be without water, they tortured them during the war when they made them do without water, they let, they set a glass of water there, and they let them watch it, they turn on a faucet, and let them hear the dripping of it, that's water, they wanted water, they thirsted for water, they put them out in the hot sun, and put a hydrant out there, and let it drip, oh, the anguish, the torment, no water, no water, but yet they're looking at water, but they can't get it, torment, breaking them, trying to break down their will to confess or to give some information that they wanted to get out of them. There was a girl in my church that had a daddy. The daddy wasn't a member of my church. One time, this man took dad sick. Took him to the hospital. They found out he had cancer. So they treated him and sent him to the different hospitals where they could treat him and do everything. Finally, they, after they burned him up with cobalt and everything else that they could put on him, just kept him full of drugs and went through a torment, two, three operations. They finally come to the decision there wasn't nothing they could do for him. They sent him back home. So they transferred him to a local doctor there in our city. It was a hand on him. Been in our hospital there locally two, three times. The doctor said, They'd, their family spent all the resources. They'd hocked the furniture. They sold their house. They spent the last dime that they had. They lost it all. So finally the doctor told him, said, said, I'll just come to your house. I'll send him home and I'll come to your house and I'll visit with him. When you need me, the worst, if he gets so bad that you can't do nothing with him, you just got to have me to come, I'll come. So they sent him home to die. So I visited him several times while he was still awake, and I talked to him about the Lord, 
about how you need to get right, and I explained the plan of salvation. His daughter wanted me to do it. I went over there and explained it all, went through it, and tried to talk to the man, tried to reason with him. I never could get him to understand the way of truth. So a few days, he went into a coma. She didn't tell me that he was in a coma. He'd been in a coma for two or three days. So one day, she called me. She said, Brother McNeely, would you come pray for my dad? said, he's real bad. I said, sure, be glad to. So I went over there and I walked in the room and it was in the summertime and it was hot. And I walked in the room and she had the heater on. Had a space heater in the, in the, in the bedroom and she had the thing lit. I said, my Lord, Katie, what in the world are you doing? It's 100 degrees outside and you got the heater on in here in the room with your daddy. She said, well, dad got so bad last night, said I didn't want to disturb you. Said I called the doctor and the doctor told me that Dad was dehydrating so that I couldn't give him enough. Said we tried to get some water down him last night and said I said he almost strangled to death and the doctor had to work with him a long time before he could ever get him back to life. I said he, he forbid me from even trying to give him anything, not even a straw of water. And said Dad's so thirsty and said said his body's dehydrating, said the doctor told me. I'd like the heater and he would perspire the pores of his skin would open and he would perspire and then the pores of skin would 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 or absorb his perspiration back into his body and that would help some to kind of relieve the thirstiness of his of his mouth and of his of his inner system and i walked over there and looked at him and i, I laid my hand when i laid my hand on that very lady his mouth was open and his little lips was just parched way out there his tongue was so dry and his mouth was so dry and he he's just a panting for breath he's just a panting I laid my hands on him and oh, it was, his fever was so high and his, 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 his brow was so hot. I said, how long has he had this fever, Katie? She said, for two or three days and he just burning up. I said, the doctor couldn't get it, couldn't get it broken. I said, he just burned it up with a fever. And I knelt down beside him and laid my hand upon him. I prayed for that unconscious man. I said, God, somehow or another, let, let him come to life that we could give him a drink of water. Just a drink. If you can't, if you can't save him, you can't heal him. It's not your will. Just, just let him have a drink of water. Don't, don't let him die like this. Well, I can't stand it. Katie was over there in the corner just weeping and crying. She couldn't hardly stand to see her daddy like that. And there she was. I prayed for him a long time. Never could get an answer. He never got no better. He still laid there. He's so thirsty and so thirsty. I said, Katie, go get me a, go get me a, a white cloth and, and, a, and a cube of ice. She said, Brother McNeely, doctor made me swear that I wouldn't give him a drink of water. I said, I'm not going to give him a drink of water. I, I promise you, Katie, I, I'll not let one drop of water get down that man's throat. But I can't stand to see him like this. I said, go get me a clean white cloth and a cube of ice. And she went and got me a cube of ice and I put it in that little old white cloth. And, 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 and I let it stay there a few minutes to the rag. Kind of got a little moss. Not, not where it would get any water or a drop of water out of it, but just where it would be good and cold and, and refreshing. And, 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 he, and his, he was, his mind and his consciousness was gone. And his, the, the spirit was somewhere out yonder. He didn't even know what world he was in. He's laying there with his mind gone and, and the fiction to go into eternity lost without God. But yet he was there in his body. And I took that little old cool cube of ice and that white cloth and I just kind of raked it swiftly across his mouth. And, and I noticed a little, I noticed a little twitching some in the corner of his eye. Something happened to him that, that, that he wanted and, and it come across his mouth. But he didn't know where it come from and he didn't know how to get it back. And he just twisted his mouth a little bit, just, just a little. And I raked it back across the other way. And then he moved his mouth a little bit more. And then he kind of moved toward his tongue. And I just kept a wiping it. And he kept 
sticking out his tongue. I kept, I kept wiping his tongue, and he kept on. He kept on. He was unconscious. His spirit was somewhere. His mind was gone. His body was deteriorated, but he was thirsty. Won't water. It won't water. Won't water. And I just kept on putting it on there. Put it on there. And, and when I would stop, he would reach up his head to try to find where did that come from? Where did it go? Where did it go? Water. I'm on water. That's about the only way I know to, I know to describe. And I thought about it as I stood over that body. And I stood there till the last drop of that thing was gone. And I said, Katie, every once in a while, do that for him. His mouth is so dry. His blood is so hot. His bowels are burning with a fever. And I said, it'll help him. You don't have to give him a drink of water. But my God, somehow, to that tongue of his. And I thought about what it would be like in hell without any water. You search. You want it. You try. But there won't be no preacher like it was standing over his bed. No. Preacher, his last drawing breath, his dying moments. And I come back way in the night to check on her again. We stood there as he went into eternity, lost without God. And while he went into eternity, I was standing there way in the night when I come back that night with a rag in my hand. And I was pressing it on his, on his parched lips, trying to cool his hot tongue. He slipped out into eternity, lost without God. Preacher stood with him to the last. Preacher couldn't get him out of hell, but he stood there with a rag, with a, with a cube of ice in it. The next thing, the last thing that the preacher could do for him on his way to a hot, blistering, flaming, belching, bulging, raging hell that would be forever. The preacher watched him, and he stood there as he fell into the very gate where he was going to plunge off into the pit. And he carried the little rag and the little ice as far as he could go until he plunged headlong into this. And I stood there with a hand and the rag as he plunged into hell, away from the water, away from the ice, away from the preacher. But no God in hell, he don't have Brother Magnolia tonight to come hunt him up and stand over him, his parched tongue, his burning body, with a little tube of ice to cool his parching tongue. Who was it stayed with him till it slipped off into the very bottomless pits of hell? It was the preacher, his best friend. His best friend. I'm preaching to somebody here tonight. I'm preaching to somebody here tonight. I'm preaching to people that you are just, you may be inches from the bottomless pit. And I'm the last thing tonight that will stand between you and hell. A preacher is the last one to stand between you and hell. I preached at Texaco youth camp one year. And I know rebellious boy was a preacher's son that rebelled against every, his daddy. Every preacher that come to that church, he rebelled, made a scene, sat on the back, swelled up, full of the devil. I preached at camp, and he'd come every night, and they tried to get him to come to the altar. And one night, I seen him back there, roaming around. I asked one of the men up there, Brother Chapman, I said, who is that boy back there? I said, he's never shown any kind of a conviction or nothing during this whole camp. And I said, 
People have been falling off and getting the Holy Ghost all over the place. He said, that's a preacher's boy. He said, he told me this story. He said, he's full of the devil. He's rebellious. And I preached on the last night. I don't know what I preached. I can't even remember what I preached. But I gave the altar call. And he was a bucking up back there. And after a while, I seen him come. I just kept appealing. I just kept appealing. I said, God, this is the last night. That's the preacher's son. His daddy's trying to get him to go to God. His daddy's trying to save him. He's rebelled. Let me reach him, Lord. Let me reach him. Let me reach him, Lord. And I kept appealing. I kept working on him. I kept working on him. I kept working. And first thing you know, I seen him turning wheel, and here he come with a fast running down that aisle. When he got about along there, he didn't just come down here and kneel. Brother, he hit a belly bust, and he slid right under them altars, a screaming on his back, a praying. I jumped down off of that platform. I laid my hand on him. I said, in Jesus' name, this is a preacher's boy. Dear God, he's not destined for hell. He's destined for heaven. His old daddy has stayed on his face before God. He's helped back the death angel. He's held back the arm that had the sickle in his hand. That going to cut him off from time and time again. I said, devil, you're not going to claim this boy. You're going to claim him in Jesus' name. Hell is not going to get him. No, sir. Hell is not going to get him. We're going to pray and believe God. Brother, we kept appearing and preachers come and daddy come and mama come. We laid the hands on him, cast the devil out of him. God filled him with a baptism of the Holy Ghost. He talked in tongues, shouted all over the place after the service that night. Brother Chapman, having different ones to testify, he had that boy to stand up and testify. Tears running down his eyes, he said, he said, oh, I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful. He said, I was full of the devil and rebellion. He said, I've hated my dad. I've done everything I could to hurt him. And he just weeping uncontrollably. He said, I'm sorry. He grabbed his dad around the neck and his mom. I'm sorry, Mama, for the heart, heartache I've caused you in the grief. I'm sorry. I'm so glad that God helped me, and I'm glad the Holy Ghost got a hold of me tonight. I'm so glad to be saved. I'm glad to have the right mind and the right attitude and the right spirit. And he just went on. He broke our hearts with his testimony. The youth camp was closed that night. I got a telephone call seven days later. No other in the line was Brother Eskridge, the youth president of the... Of the of the camp, of the district. He said, Brother McNeil, you remember that preacher's boy we prayed for that night? I said, yes, sir. He said, he died this morning. I said, oh, no. He said, yeah, he did. He said, two days ago. He said, he just had the Holy Ghost, got the Holy Ghost on, on a Friday night that night. And he said, Monday night after Sunday night service, he went home and way in the morning, he woke his mom and daddy up and he had a red hot fever and he was delirious and he was shaking and trembling. And he, and he said to his mom, he said, I got a terrific headache. It's a killing me, mom. It's killing me. It's killing me. It's killing me. And, and, and they prayed and they prayed and they rushed him to the hospital. But he died early the next morning before daylight. But oh, how thankful I was. How thankful. The thing that stood between him and hell. Just think, oh my God, if he hadn't come, if I hadn't reached him that night, a preacher boy in hell, just seven days away from eternity. And the last sermon he heard at that youth camp, and I just kept on and kept on and kept on. And I can see him back there. You may curse the preacher for trying to go back there and put his arm around you to bring you to God. But oh, in heaven tonight, that boy, that boy says, thank God for that preacher. He's my best friend. Oh, don't you know tonight in heaven, don't you know tonight in heaven that that boy is looking up every
whatever preacher he can. And he's alive and on in heaven because the preacher was his best friend. He don't have to burn. He's in heaven. He's with Jesus. He's going to be around the throne. He's going to march on streets of gold. He'll be saved forever. But it was a preacher that was his best friend that saved him from hell. Let us all stand tonight. Oh, saints of God, I want you to pray. There's souls here in this building tonight that he's God. There's young people, that preacher, boys and girls, that saints of God that needs the Lord. Come on, lift your hand and pray. Let's believe God right now. Oh, let the Lord get a hold of somebody. God will touch your heart tonight. Come on, sinner. Why are we praying for you? Come on, sinner. Why are we praying for you? Come on, sinner. Come on, sinner. Come on, backslider. That's right. You're standing right there. Close your eyes and lift your hand. Repent of your sin and worship God. Amen. Come on, young people. Why are you rebellious, preacher boy? Why are you wayfaring, girl? What about it, backslider? The preacher is your best friend tonight. You want the Holy Ghost, come on. You want the Holy Ghost, come on. If you want to repent, come on. You love God, you want to get right with the Lord, come on. Don't wait. Come screaming down and out. Come on down here. Come on down here. Come on down here. Come on down here. Come on. In the back, come on. Come on. My God, some of you need to be down here on your face, repenting for the way that you, you have messed around and the way that you've done your preacher. You need to be right down here repenting. Yet keep praying. Sister so Hugh going to sing us a little something here. I want your minds on the Lord. I tell you, I just to say, come on, sing. Let's leave God together here right now. And all through the night, where are you? On the but people on this side need to be down here repenting. You need the Holy Ghost. You're right. I'm the best thing. I'm the last thing, the last thing between you and hell tonight. I'm the Holy Ghost. I'm the one that's standing and holding back the angel's hand. The death angel that's got the sickle in there. Come on. Come on. Repent of your sin. That's right. Come down here. Come on. Oh, you sinner. What about it, backslider? Get down here. Anybody else? Anybody else want the Holy Ghost? 
Come on, children. Come on, preacher boy. Come on, preacher girl. You're not living for God. Get down to business with the Lord. Come on, preacher. The saint of God is lukewarm and cold in your soul tonight. Your preacher's your best friend. You might have talked about it. You might have lied on him. You might have worked against him. But he's standing between you tonight and hell. The preacher is standing between you and hell tonight. He's your best friend. Come on. Get down here and repent of your sins. Let's everybody come. Let's everybody come. Let's get around me. Let's get around me to pray through the night the Holy Ghost. Oh, Come on, saints, get in here close. Come on, preacher, help me out tonight. Let's pray these through the Holy Ghost tonight. Let's leave God for the table. Come on, everybody, come and pray. Oh, God! 